today, I have one of my really good best friends here today, Mike Elogio. If you don't know Mike Elogio, um, years ago, he was our kids pastor here, and through God's providence, it brought him and his family into the church, and I was the associate pastor back then. Was I, or was I still youth pastor? I don't know. Yeah, I was both, I think. Um, when you're the youth pastor, you're every pastor, you know, so... Um, I was, uh, I was working there, and we connected on, online. I said, hey, we, we're looking for a kid's pastor. They came in, uh, did a phenomenal job, got to know them, their family. They're such a blessing to us and our family. We love them so much, and God has uh, worked through them so powerfully. And now they are in Colleyville serving at a church there, Journey Church. Love Journey Church. And shout out to Journey Church for watching. Uh, we love you guys, and just so... Uh, so excited about the ministry he's going to bring to you guys today. It's been so good. First service was fantastic. I know it's going to be uh, amazing today. God has a word for you and has a word through Michael. So Michael, please come on. Let's uh, just welcome Michael Logio as he comes up. Yeah, Mike, you good to go? Love you, sir. Bless you. All right. We good? Awesome. Do me a favor. We're going to do an exercise of faith real quick. I want you all, Pastor Neil has moved to the back of the building, so I want half of you, we'll go with this half, to stretch your hand towards Pastor Neil, and I want this half to stretch your hands towards his wife, and what I want to do is have an exercise of faith this morning where I want you to pray for them. Okay, just move it right over here. We're a church on the move at Waterhouse Church. Nothing replaces the local pastor and the benefit of the local pastor to the local church. A guest speaker cannot minister in the same way. They don't don't love you because they don't know you in the same way. Nothing replaces the power that God works through the local pastor. So I want us to pray over Pastor Neil and, and Debbie and pray God's continued blessing upon them. So, Lord, I pray for Pastor Neil and for Debbie. I pray that you protect their marriage, the marriage covenant, Lord, when you brought them together and you brought the two and made them into one. I pray for their faith, that it would be raised to new levels. And I pray for vision, Lord, not for his vision or her vision, but for your vision to be imparted to them for Waterhouse Church and for your continued blessing, not only upon the church, but upon their lives. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen and amen. Welcome, welcome, everyone. My name is Michael Elogio. I was once the children's minister here. I'm not sure I did that great a job. I think Dallas and Shelley probably do an awesome job, so give them another hand. They were here in the first service because they're just awesome like that. I want you to remember when this morning. Do you remember when you first learned to ride a bike? When those training wheels popped off and you were just all that in your mind. The wind was through your hair and nothing could stop you. Remember when. Remember your first day of school. Now some of you, your first day of school may have been terrible. And for that I'm sorry. But I think for most of us, our first day of school was we're so excited. I know I probably had some sort of Star Wars metal lunchbox because that's how cool I am. And I probably had a thermos full of some instant tea because I didn't drink juice or milk. And my parents were weird and made instant tea. 
but the first day of school was exciting. I'm finally going to get to learn to read because I'm a nerd and I, and I embrace my nerdiness. Or what about your first day where you actually had your driver's license? Do you remember that? Some of you just got your driver's license, and do you remember the freedom, the absolute freedom that you felt because there's no stopping you. Mom and dad don't necessarily have to know everywhere you're going, right? I'm not encouraging that. I'm just saying I've been there and I understand. It's that feeling that I'm latching on to. Or what about this one? We're going to get a little sappy. Do you remember love's first kiss? Apparently not. (laughs) We'll move on. Often we forget about our firsts. We lose the excitement of riding our bike. It's just a place to get from point A to point B. It's not really about anything more than that after a while. We begin to dread school because they require work. They require us to actually do stuff, and then we realize, I don't want to do stuff. I just want to have fun. We get used to driving everywhere, and it becomes a drag when mom and dad say, run to the store, buy milk, buy bread, buy butter, and you're like, I'm so tired of just driving to the store for you people. It's just, it's, it's, just, it's now, you know, this was fun, but you make it non-fun at this point. And after a certain length of time of marriage, to which I'm going to leave the number of years off, maybe a kiss just became a kiss at least for a time. It's just something you do. It's just, it's just routine. The point is, it's not until something stimulates our thoughts that we refer back to those first memories, those firsts in our lives. We get over the need to exercise and remember how fun mountain biking can be. Then we feel the wind through our hair again. And we feel the freedom of jumping on that bike in the middle of a pandemic and going, I don't need a mask if no one's around me because I'm riding in the wide open skies of the roads of Weatherford that aren't necessarily wide open, but you get the point. We begin to learn enjoying reading, learning without being made to. We remember what it's like to pick up a book and go, you know what, this is, this is fun. I enjoy learning new things. I enjoy watching videos and and learning new things. We get back the sense of adventure and road trips as we jump behind the wheel and we go on family vacations or staycations as we're going to do nearby. And and we just, or maybe even this afternoon, you're just going to go on an afternoon drive out on the country just because it's enjoyable again. And then hopefully, hopefully, you're able to reignite that marriage passion of that first kiss again and again and again because your love has grown from that, that initial feeling to a deep, deep love, and you're able to passionately kiss your spouse again. And it's okay to celebrate those things, even in church, people, okay? It's okay. But what about your spiritual life? Do you remember when you were first saved? Do you remember the excitement that you had when you first came to know the Lord? And now, if you're like me, It's not when you first heard the salvation message or heard about Jesus or began to learn about the Lord, but the moment you were first saved. Do you remember the sense of awe and wonder you had at that moment? Are you still as excited or is your faith on cruise control? Do you still get up excited in the morning, in the wee hours of the morning, and the first thing you want to do is If you're like me, grab the cup of coffee and run to your laptop and open it up and you've got your Word document ready because that's 
the way I roll. I use my computer for everything. And I've got the online Bible, and I've got every version at my fingertips. And I'm like, this is just me and you, Lord. The house may be a mess, but it's quiet right now. And it's just me and you. Do you still have that sense of excitement, or has it kind of waned just a little bit? The fact is, the entire church can forget about those early experiences of faith. And instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to drive us forward, we, the people, begin to rely on ourselves. So the question to ask then is this. What does the Bible have to say about remembering our earliest experiences in faith? Now, your worship leader sang a song that he wrote this morning, and he referred to a text. And I'm going to ask you on your devices... Hopefully, it'll be on the screen here in a moment if you don't have a device or if you have a Bible, open in your Bible, to Revelation chapter number 2. A few weeks ago, I communicated with Pastor Neil, and I was supposed to speak earlier in July. It worked out that they would be here, and, and I wasn't needed, so we pushed it back. I had a message that was prepared for that time. I contacted him maybe early last week and said, I really know that we talked about this one message that I had, and you said, no, that's good, that's, that, 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 that's this is the perfect time. But I feel that God's changing the message. And what's important to know is until this morning, Brother Christian had no idea who I am, right? No clue whatsoever. And yet here I am speaking on Revelation 2, 1 to 7, and returning to our first love, because that's how awesome and cool Jesus is. Give him a hand clap of praise. Because he alone is worthy. Now, he writes this message to seven churches, and this very first one is the church in Ephesus. And there's a few important things to learn about the church in Ephesus. Number one, this was a major metropolitan area in what is now modern-day Turkey. And it was so full of wickedness and evil, absolute pagan people. You know, kind of like Weatherford. No, I'm kidding. But you know what I mean. It was like New York City on steroids. It was terrible. It was full of idolatry. It was full of sexual immorality. But yet it had a growing and thriving church there. Here's a couple of other interesting facts. Mary, the mother of Jesus, lived her last years in Ephesus. John, the revelator, the apostle John, lived his last years in Ephesus and planted up to 20 churches in and around Ephesus. So this is a major hub of faith in, in Christianity. And it's, it's no surprise that Jesus would write a letter to this specific church. And this is the letter that it's, this is the letter, these are the words that Jesus writes. He says, write the following to the messenger of the congregation in Ephesus. For these are the words of the one who holds the seven stars firmly in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know all that you've done for me. You have worked hard and persevered. I know that you don't tolerate evil. You have tested those who claim to be apostles and proved they are not, for they were imposters. I know how you have bravely endured trials and persecutions because of my names, yet you have not become discouraged. I have this against you. You have abandoned the passionate love you had for me at the beginning. Think about how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works of the love you did at first. I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place of influence if you do not repent. And then down to verse 7, the one whose heart is open, let him listen carefully to what the Spirit is saying now to all the churches. To the one who overcomes, 
I will give access to feast on the fruit of the tree of life that is found in the paradise of God. This is God's holy word. There's a couple of things to point out in this passage to set it up before we really find out what is God saying specifically to Waterhouse Church and to us as individuals this morning. First, in the very first verse, it says, write the following to the messenger. And the messenger is the word that's commonly used for pastor or overseer of the church. As is probably no surprise to you, God will often reveal things to the pastor of the church who then will speak the message that God has given. It doesn't mean the pastor is better than you. It just means they're operating in the office that the Lord has given them. And he oftentimes will speak to them. And then you will confirm that message in your heart as God confirms the word delivered. Amen? Amen. Very good. And then it goes on and says, For the one who holds the seven stars firmly in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. And this is where it gets kind of weird for most of us. Because it's talking about stars and gold and lampstands and things. And we're just reading this. And if, you know, the first time I read it, I was like, Well, you, you had me, Lord, and now I'm, now I'm done. I don't, I don't know what to do with that. That doesn't make any sense. But if you read back one chapter to Revelation chapter 1, It's quite obvious. Don't turn to chapter 1 right now. Read this later after church. But it's quite obvious that it's referring to Jesus. So it's Jesus is the one who is holding the seven stars firmly and is walking among the seven golden lampstands, which represents the seven churches. The important part to take away that it's Jesus that is speaking to the pastor or overseer of the church in Ephesus. And then he commends them for all the good that they've done as a church. He doesn't lay into them. He props them up and says, wow, I'm really surprised. You know, this is awesome. I know all that you've done for me. He even says, you've worked hard and persevered. They've expanded the message of Christ to more than just their four walls of the church. And they've brought others from outside of faith into faith. The Bible, Paul refers to it in the book of Acts as the way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the only way. It's only one way, but this is the way. That's a Star Wars reference if you're not sure. But he says, I know that you don't tolerate evil, and you even tested those who claim to be apostles and proved they are not. Jesus commends the early church in Ephesus and says, you are a doctrinally sound church. In other words, man, you know your Bible. You men and women of faith know your Bible, you know your stuff, because when wolves in sheep's clothing, as the Bible will often call the false prophets and apostles, says when they tried to come in and tried to set themselves up over you, you were able to identify it, and you were not tolerating that at evil. You kept the truth. So he's commending this church in Ephesus. And then he says, you've bravely endured trials and persecutions because of my name and have not become discouraged. Now, let's... Let's back up for a moment about trials and persecutions. The the American church is not enduring persecution. We might be enduring trials during COVID, as is society at large. But the American church has yet to be persecuted. We may have been frowned upon. The American church may be laughed at occasionally and may be scoffed at and made fun of. But we, we haven't been persecuted. The Iranian church, which is mostly full of women and an predominantly Muslim country and less than 1% Christianity exists in that country, they're experiencing persecution. 
They're tortured and die for their faith. There's a, that's the persecution that this church in Ephesus faced. Remember, this is during the height of the Roman Empire, which is a completely pagan culture that was polytheistic in nature, meaning they have many gods. Being a Christian wasn't cool. Being a Christian wasn't passe. And being a Christian at that time was bad for your health. It was good for your spiritual health, but it was bad for your physical health. And he says, but you have endured. And just when the church in Ephesus, just when that pastor and overseer thinks that everything is fine, Jesus hits him with a curveball and says, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the passionate love you had for me at the beginning. He even says, think how far you have fallen. Wait a minute. You just told me how good things were going. You just told me that we were a doctrinally sound church, that we didn't put up with mess from those that didn't know what they were talking about, from those that tried to make us leave the faith. You told us that we were producing good works, that we were saving, seeking and saving the lost, that we were, we were really getting into our Bible. What do you mean? Jesus means something. He said, you've forgotten all about me. Repent and do the what? The works of love you did at first. Jesus essentially says this, all those former things are good. It is good to attend church. I would say it is vital to your spiritual health to attend church. It's not about the money. It's about your soul. It's about your faith and building up your faith. It's about building up the faith of your family. And it's about building up the faith of the community. And somebody propping up the community when all hell is literally breaking loose around it and within it. Someone's got to do that. That's the job of the church. And you, we are the church. But Jesus says, despite how good those things are, without me, if I'm not first in everything, then you have nothing. Absolutely nothing. That is what he's effectively saying right here. He said, repent and do the works of love at first. I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place of influence if you do not repent. What does he mean? What does it mean that he's going to remove the lampstand? And what, what? Jesus, what are you trying to say? Jesus is very clear. He says, I'm going to remove my presence from the church in Ephesus if you don't repent and turn back to me as you did when you first received your salvation. A church without Jesus is an ineffective church. It can't do anything. Without an appointing and an anointing, there is absolutely nothing. Without an appointing, without an anointing, there is absolutely nothing. Without Jesus, nothing else matters. Every seat could be full. The music could be spot on. The PowerPoints, the the presentation can be just immaculate. The parking lot can be full. But without the presence of the Lord, it is meaningless. It is completely worthless. That's what Jesus is saying. But then he says, but but if you do turn to me, you're going to have access to me fully in the tree of life that's found in paradise. We're all going to make it to heaven. This word may be a little difficult for some of you to endure. And for that, I apologize that it might be a little difficult. But I don't apologize for the word of the Lord. Perhaps God is speaking to Waterhouse Church. 
God obviously spoke to the church at Ephesus. But it's up to you to discern and decide, is he speaking to Waterhouse Church? And now let's personalize it just a little bit. Is it, is it possible that God is not only speaking to Waterhouse Church, Big C, but he's speaking to the individuals that make up Waterhouse Church? Is God not only saying, church, you've left your, left your first love, but is he saying, you have left your first love, you have left your first love, you have left your first love, you have left your first love. And he only gives you one course of action, repentance. There's nothing you can do, there's no action you can take except turn away from the direction you're going and turn to Christ. You can't help enough people to get back in the, not in the good graces of God. That is such a terrible statement. To return to your first love, to get your priorities of faith back in order. There's nothing you can do. You need to read your Bible. You need to pray. We need to fast. We need to reach out and extend the walls of the church beyond its current borders. But there's no action you can't take. In other words, you can't write enough checks. You can't give enough money to buy your way into anything in heaven. It was already bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ once and for all as a ransom for many. For all that would call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But there's nothing you can do except turn away from your own selfish desires, your own selfish ways of doing things, and instead turn to Jesus. He says, if you don't, I'm going to remove my presence. That may not sound like that big of a deal. But if he removes his presence from your life, you need to understand something. Jesus didn't walk away, but you did. Once you're in the palm of Jesus' hand, he's not going to drop you because he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But he never says that you can't consciously make the decision to walk away from him. And friend, if you don't think you can, you're looking at a man who has tried again and again at several times in his life, and in his early life, he flat did. He says, I will remove my, my presence from you, and there will be no abiding whatsoever. This is a stern warning to the church today, not just in America, but right here in Weatherford, right here in Waterhouse Church. God is up to something, and he says, before we move on, we need to get this one thing right. Christ is all that matters. It's not the look of the building, as great as it looks, and it looks absolutely amazing. You guys have done a wonderful job. It's not the quality of the music, although the quality of the music here is absolutely outstanding, and I know that more changes will be coming, but none of that matters as much as Jesus being the absolute center of everything. So this clearly applies to the church, but how does it apply to the individual? Every spiritual heart that is washed in the word will not grow cold. What do I mean by that? Friends, it's time to pick up your Bible and read it. That's whether it's the paper Bible, it's the online Bible, it's the version app, it's on the iPad, whatever way you want to read it, it's time to get into it. And it's time to open it more than just when it pops up on the screen on Sunday mornings. I had a problem. 
And my problem was this. After I was the children's pastor here, I got called to Rome, Texas. I really wish it had been Rome, Italy, but it wasn't. It was Rome, Texas. Nothing like Italy whatsoever, except maybe the way they talked was a little different than the way I talked. That was about it. Wonderful place. Little church, a lot of problems. You know what? We worked it out together. God's blessing was there. It was amazing. To see him move, to see him change lives, to see the church grow from just a handful of people to almost 100, it, it was absolutely amazing. At one time, we consistently were running in the 70s, and when you were previously at about 20 or 25, that's huge in a small community, absolutely huge. There were times during that time and before that time as my tenure here as children's pastor leading into that, that I would be in this building praying on the weekends, on Saturday nights. There were times we would just, a couple of us would just be walking around this very room, just praying, just calling upon heaven, just asking Jesus to move. We weren't worried about what time it was. We were going to get to bed later. Now I can't even stay up past 9 o'clock at night. I'm falling over. I used to stay up all night long partying, hanging out at the bar. I can't even stay up past 9 o'clock now for Jesus to pray? Really? Something's wrong. My priorities got ransacked, and it was all my fault. I used to lead outreaches to seek and save the lost. You notice these things said, I used to, I used to, I used to. Are you seeing a common theme? Something happened. That word that was supposed to be written in my heart that says Psalms 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against my neighbor. No, it says against you. David says, I hide your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. And it was as if I had forgotten that there was a word ever written on my heart. I left that church because life began to get overwhelming. It was the right time. It was definitely God's time. But there were a lot of external things going on that led up to that moment, and it did not help that I was burning the candle at both ends and not spending enough time alone with the Lord. And when we landed in Colleyville at a friend of mine's church, and we just sat with the idea to rest, I was so restless sitting where you are. And I thought it was because I was burned out and I was all done with ministry. And I began to make my own plans. I began to make a plan to go to school so that I could provide for my family. I didn't really need the Lord anymore. How many of you have picked the job based not on prayer but on your preference? And you don't have to raise your hands. I understand. How many of you have made so many decisions based on your own thoughts and ideas of what was right and you never thought to consult the Lord. I did that, and all it did was cost me pain and misery. I had no idea how depressed I actually was. I probably should have been on medication. I probably should have been. I, I, I didn't know how deep in despair I really was at that moment. Matter of fact, it wasn't until my, my wife was taking a class, and she was just relaying some information in, in the mental health rehab class she had that it became quite obvious that I was pretty dissatisfied with every part of my life. It was almost scary when it dawned on me I had nothing good to respond to anything in my life, yet I had chosen all of it. 
And to top it off, I put this caveat on it. And to think you used to be a pastor. And instead of allowing Christ to pull those weights off of me, I just piled them on more and more and more. Why am I saying this? I'm not saying it so that you feel sorry for me. I'm saying it so that you understand that I'm not one who stands up here high and mighty and has no idea what you're going through. I know. I know what it means to be on the mountaintop with Jesus. I know what it means. I know how it feels, and I know how, how wonderful life is when you're spending time in the Word and when you're spending time in His presence daily and, and, and how the trials and concerns of life begin to bounce off of you, and, and they don't have as much of an effect on you anymore. But I also know what it means to jump off of that mountain down into the valley, and you did it yourself, and you begin to beat up yourself, and you begin to go, well, I, I got what I deserved. no. You didn't. I mean, you did choose it, but there is a way out. There is a way out, and it's simply returning to King Jesus. You know what I found? You want to know what I found? Whenever I simply started reading my Bible again, when I finally made up my mind, you know what? What I've been doing is not working. It's not working. I'm not happy. I'm not full of joy. Happy is... Happy is fleeting. It comes and goes. Joy is everlasting. I had absolutely no joy whatsoever. But the moment that I turned my attention back to Jesus and said, it's about you and it's about me, I need help with this mess. Something changed. I found a father that was not mean, aggravated, or angry with me. Instead, I found a heavenly father that said, son, I've been waiting this whole time for you. I have been right where you left me. I am here, and I am ready to receive you. As a matter of fact, I'm not just ready. Son, I'm chasing after you, and I'm coming to get you. That's the Jesus that I found. That's the Heavenly Father. That's the God that we serve. He's not up there throwing lightning bolts down at us in this life. Instead, he's making a way where there is no other way. Life is so much better on the other side of repentance. Repenting is hard. We were at a fall council, uh, ministers in North Texas once, your pastor Neil and I, and our district superintendent at the time, Rick DeBose, wonderful man, wonderful, wonderful godly man. He was teaching on a book called The Secret Place, all about getting alone with God consistently. And he said this about repentance. Pastors, because he was speaking to pastors, but it applies to all of us. He said, pastors, if you deal with your sin in the secret place, it will stay in the secret place. It won't get out. But if you don't deal with it in the secret place, God will make it public so you have to deal with it. Does he do that because he doesn't love us? No. No. He loves us so much, he's willing to put us in a little uncomfortable place in order to bring us to the place of repentance. Now, I could leave all this in the secret place, but instead, what am I doing? I'm sharing it publicly. Why? Because it doesn't matter. I'm more proud of what Jesus has done in me than more unhappy with what I did to myself. 
I have no, there's, there's nothing I can do except brag upon what the Lord has done for me in my life. When I finally decided to repent, repent, the pastor had to repent and turn away from his sinfulness and turn towards Jesus and find love and forgiveness and find purpose and significance and acceptance once again. Why? Because God is just that good. So perhaps this message feels like it was just for you. Maybe you're sitting out there and you're going, this is hitting a little too close to home. Friend, that's the God that we serve. That's the God that we serve. He loves us enough to hit us right where it counts because he wants us to come to him with everything. <laughs> 